We're going to uh, be finishing our series today on, we're talking about sex and sexuality and marriage and what does God intend for all of this and and what was um, his expectations when he created all of these things. And we're going to be finishing that up today and I'm going to try to go kind of short because what I want to do is I want to open us up at the very end for a time of Q&A. And the way that we do Q&A here is is you can text in your questions and then I will receive them so you can text them right there. That'll be up there. And so if I like spark something while I'm talking, or you've always had this question about, you know, sex, sexuality, marriage in regards to the Bible, um, please text in your question. And at the end, I'm going to try to tackle all of those questions or as many as I can and try not to make them too crude. Okay, here we go. The five purposes of marriage. We have talked about a few of those. If you recall for the last few weeks, we have begun to talk about um, kind of we boiled down God's purpose in marriage and sex is, is five different things. And so last week we talked about partnership is that God made men and women to be in relationship. And we find out from the creation narrative that he has created us not as mirror images of one another, but as complementary pairs. That men and women are, are, are equal in their status because they're made in the image of God, and yet they're very different from one another, which up until recent history has been incontrovertible, controvertible, is uh, men and women are different. They're equal, yet they're different. They have different strengths and different weaknesses. And we also learned um, that we were designed to be in this, this covenant relationship, which we call marriage. And in this covenant relationship, it is, it is extremely loving and intimate, and yet it is legal and it is binding. And then we also talked about the second thing, which was pleasure. And um, we don't have to talk... Uh, uh, too much about this because most people are in agreement is that uh, marriage and sex is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be pleasurable. God knew what he was doing when he designed it. And he says within the right context, not only should you be having sex, but he says you should be having it a lot, which I remind my wife, I read her this scripture all the time. Okay. Uh, but it also says not only should we enjoy our spouses and that we should be intimate often, but it also says that sex is something that's very fragile. It is something that is incredible. It's an incredible gift, and yet it's something that has to be used with care. It has to be used within the safety of a marriage relationship. And so we talked a little bit about that, and we talked about sex as kind of a token of me um, giving my body as a representation of what I've already done with my entire life and my being, as I've given you, I've opened up to you my entire life, I've committed to you, and as a token of that, I also give you my body. And then uh, we talked briefly about procreation. In Genesis 1:28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, and he's talking about Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And this is, this scripture is known as the kind of the cultural mandate in which it says that we are supposed to be co-creators and partners with God in his creation. So we're going to go and fill the earth. We're going to tend to it. We're going to um, produce children and we're going to be able to love on them and they're going to be an incredible gift. And then one that we didn't talk about, but I want to mention is, is marriage is uh, one of the benefits of marriage, and I think by design, is, is prosperity. Economic prosperity is a result of marriage. So if you look at the studies, it's very interesting because it says that marriage leads to increased income, and not just because it's dual income, but because there's something about a marriage relationship. And so um, one of the probably the most popular studies when it comes to financial, uh, when it comes to economics, 
and how to get out of poverty or how to stay out of poverty and enter the middle class or stay in the middle class is you have to do four things. At least this is true in the Western world and it's true of us. Is if you do these four things, there is a 98% chance that you will be middle class in the United States. Here's the four things. Graduate high school, don't have a child out of wedlock, keep a job, and get married and stay married. If you do those four things, there's a 98% chance that you will be at least uh, middle class. And so there's obvious economic benefits and prosperity within uh, marriage, but there's also relational and social prosperity. It's really good for kids. Kids have a much better time in life. They're healthier, they're more well-rounded and more established in who they are when they come from a two-parent home, when there is a marriage that is intact. And this is why uh, the government is involved in the institution of marriage, is because there's huge social benefits to marriage working and it to uh, continuing to, to uh, help people flourish because it's the foundation of society. And so there's obvious uh, relational and social uh, benefits. But today I want to talk about uh, the last one. And this one I think, is, um, I think is interesting. The last one is personal sanctification. That's a really big theological word, which we'll break down in a minute. But, but here's the deal. Is marriage is like anything in our life. Your view of marriage is going to be shaped by, and the purpose of marriage, is going to be shaped by your view of what the purpose of life is. And so if you start with the big question of what is my life all about, and most people these days would say their life is about being happy. Personal happiness is their goal in life. And so marriage is going to fall under the umbrella of what they believe their life is about. And so the purpose of marriage is to obviously continue to enhance the purpose of their life, which is happiness. And so what happens is we begin to date and look for and see marriage from that context of if it makes me happy or not. And so the ideal spouse, when we come from that point of view, becomes someone who is maybe good-looking, has social status, power, or money. And when we start to look for a spouse with those types of characteristics, dating becomes a, a gross form of self-merchandising. Is you are putting yourself out there, and you're trying to uh, attract a certain type of person, and they're putting their self out there and they're trying to attract a certain person. And you're really putting yourself on display because um, that's what the ideal is. Someone who maybe has some money and so we try to show off or maybe has some good looks. And so we try to accentuate whatever good looks we have. And, and it really becomes a way of selling yourself. That's what dating ultimately becomes. And when we get married and we start to uh, enter into conflict within our marriage, the the, one of the reactions is going to be, well, if it's not making me happy and we're having all this conflict, then I'm going to bail on this marriage. And that's where we see uh, roughly half of marriages today is they believe the purpose is happiness. If it's not fulfilling happiness, then I'm going to go and I'm going to find someone else who will. But the Christian understanding, starting with what the purpose of life is, is far different than personal happiness. In fact, that's like not even on the radar. The Christian believes the purpose of our life is to glorify God. That means to follow Christ and making him known throughout the world. And so when you start with that is the purpose of life, then when you come to marriage, it takes on a very different goal. Instead of being about personal happiness, it becomes about personal sanctification. Personal sanctification. Now, you may not understand this word, but sanctification means becoming more and more like Christ. 
It's the process of becoming Christ-like. And so we, as Christ followers, our goal is to glorify God, to become more like Christ, and to make him known throughout the world. And so we're going to now begin to date and look for a spouse that's going to help us accomplish that goal, not the other goals of happiness or fulfillment or satisfaction. And so, yes, physical attraction is going to be important, and, and we're going to make sure that they're you know, not, a, not a loser, and they have a job, and they have some ambition, and they want a career, and all those things are great things. But the ultimate thing is we're going to make sure that they are trying to become more like Christ. Like their goal is to become a person who follows closely uh, their Savior, And so we begin to worry more about godly character than we do about finances, than we do uh, about ambitions, although those are important. The top priority is who they're becoming um, and why. See, Amy and I, through the years, we've been together for a long time now. Uh, We're going to be married nine years this summer. I think we've been together almost 12-ish, I think, something around there. And uh, I know, I don't, it looks so young. It's crazy. How are you together that long? I know. Um... No one thought that I'd look that young. You guys are like, no, you look that old. She looks young, but you look that old. Anyway, as we, have, as we have grown over the years, and I met her when she was right out of high school, and I was just a couple years out of high school, through the years, we have become vastly different people than where we had started. And I would say a, a huge part of that is, one, my relationship with Christ, but two, is because who I married is we continue to encourage each other to be better, to be more like Christ, to continue to pursue him. And we have helped each other with these rough edges. And trust me, I had a lot of rough edges. It's hard to believe, but I wasn't the nicest guy in the world. And then she's helped me through this process to where I am this huge cuddle uh, bear right here. (laughs) Nobody. All right. Um, But people ask me all the time, you know, I'm a Christian, why is it an issue for me to date a non-Christian? And one, the scripture is very clear that Christians and non-Christians should not be together, but it practically makes sense. Because if you are a Christian, your sole purpose in your being is to pursue God. And so you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to pursue God. And if they're not a Christian, they're going to be pursuing something else. And so what happens is, as you pursue God and they pursue something else, you are going to grow further and further apart from one another. And so something will end up breaking. Either that relationship will end up broken because you have gone different directions in life, or you're going to give up on your pursuit of God in order to keep that relationship intact. And that's why the scripture is clear. It says that we are, con- are supposed to continue to, uh, or we're supposed to date people and eventually marry people who have the same goal in mind. And then when we have marital conflict and we have these issues, and you will, if you're not married yet, you will uh, have some conflict in your marriage. And, and to some degree, we look at it as an opportunity because this is an opportunity for growth. Because we have already settled the issue of there's not going to be divorce in here. And so we're going to have to figure out how you and I are going to work this out. And so we wrestle with it, and we fight, and we argue, but we eventually know that we got to come to some conclusion because we're stuck together. There is no bailing out on this deal. And when you have that attitude that there is no such thing as divorce within this marriage, then we, uh, we eventually become better people because of it. Because we've had to wrestle through the tough stuff. We haven't been able to bail on this relationship. We've had to overcome um, the obstacles. And one of the things that's going to happen is as the rest of the world begins to 
uh, have conflict within their, their marriage and they begin to bail or they, they see the conflict that's happening within your marriage and how you handle it, you are going to look so different and your marriage is going to look so different than everybody else's that people are going to take notice. They're going to say, what is so different about your marriage? Why do you guys, I mean, I would have just given up by now. I would have just, you know, this is tough stuff. Why are you still wrestling with it? Or how come you guys still seem to be so much in love after all of these years? It's crazy. It's like you guys enjoy each other more and more every year. What's the deal? And then you get to become a sign. You get to become a representative of Jesus, and your marriage is one of the, the, the symbols of that. And so what I want to do um, quickly here is, uh, before we, we're going to have some time for our questions, and I'm getting a ton in already is I want to go through some real practical advice that I have. And I'm not, I'm not super old, but I have been married for a little while now, and I have seen a lot of um, good and bad marriages uh, as a pastor. And so let me give you my kind of like top five tips as far as people who are thinking about getting married, maybe one day. It's a possibility. It's out there. It's not implausible. Okay, tip number one. Become the right person if you want to meet the right person. So my first tip is become the right person if you, want to, if you want to meet the right person. So many people buy into this myth that if I, if I just meet the right person, then everything's going to just work out. It's going to be great. I just got to meet the right person. That somehow, because you have fallen in love with someone and your chemistry is so exciting and it's electric and you've never felt this way before, that you are somehow going to become a different person because of that relationship. You're going to somehow be faithful, and you're going to overcome your daddy issues, and you're going to kick that addiction, and, and you're going to no longer be angry or codependent because you have this chemistry with this person. Wrong. That will never happen. Promises that you are going to become this, so promising that you're going to become this type of person is no substitute for preparation. Promises are no substitute for preparation. You can promise this significant other that this is who you're going to become and this is what life is going to look like, but unless you have prepared for this to actually happen, it's probably not going to. And this makes sense. Every arena of our life, we totally get this. It's this if I sign up for a, a, a marathon, which I would never do, but let's say I signed up for a marathon, and then I just continue to eat chocolate donuts and In-N-Out Burger, and I'm trying to think what else I had in the last 24 hours, just, I just, just... I, and then I show up the day of the race. Do you know what's going to happen? I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to quit. I don't even think I can make it from here to the end of this building without losing my breath, right? And so my promise by signing up to run a marathon has, has no impact on the reality of me actually running a marathon. And your promises of who you're going to become has no impact on who you actually are going to become. See, what happens is we eventually... Um, we have to, let me say it in a different way, is the problem is right now, and this all makes sense, that I need to prepare for marriage, even if there's nobody that I even am thinking about dating. You're never going to be less motivated to change who you are than you are right now. You're never going to be motivated because you know when you're going to be most motivated is when you and your spouse are in conflict and you're trying to decide if you're going to stay together or not. That's when you become motivated to try to fix things in your life. But when you reach that point of motivation to deal with your stuff, to become that person, it's already too late. And so you have to somehow overcome this lack of motivation in order to prepare yourself for this marriage that doesn't even exist yet. 
that's, you don't even know if it's going to happen anytime soon. But the benefit is, when you devote your life presently to becoming who you want to be and becoming the right person, when someone comes along that is not the right person, you're going to be able to identify it. Because you've been working on you, and so you can tell if they haven't been working on them. Before, you may have settled because you said, well, I got some rough edges, and so they got some rough edges, and it's okay. But as you become the right person, you're going to reject all the wrong people that come along. You're going to say, no, 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 no. See, promises mean nothing to me. I want to see what you've done. I want to see your, your, your past. I want to see how you actually live. Don't promise me that you're going to fix this. I want to see if you've actually fixed it or not. And you're going to end up dating someone different because you decided to become the right person. Number two, uh, break your bad habits now. Break your bad habits now. So there's not, no such thing, and this may shock you, there's no such thing as marriage problems. There isn't. There's no such thing as marriage problems. What there is is there's two people with problems who get married. <laughs> and so you need to start dealing with your stuff now, because when you enter into uh, a relationship, a marriage uh, specifically, that marriage will end up magnifying both the good and the bad characteristics that you have. The things that are just so awesome about this person, you're going to fall even more deeply in love, but the bad stuff, it's going to become 10 times what it was before. And so you have to deal with whatever the bad habit, the bad stuff that you have, because the bad habit is going to get worse when you get married. If you have an addiction now, you will have a worse addiction when you get married. If you drink too much now, you're going to drink too much when you get married. If you have debt now and you continue to increase the debt because you can't get your shopping under control, you will have even more debt when you get married. And if you can't stay faithful now, you will never stay faithful when you get married. And guys, I'm going I'm to have to be real with you for a second here because we're talking about bad habits. Guys, this is, I know that girls struggle with this, but it's almost, uh, uh, by, by far, it's a guy problem. Guys, stop looking at porn. Seriously, stop looking at porn. It is ruining your marriage. Because here's what happens. One, it's actually changing your brain chemistry and wiring. The other is you are getting expectations that no woman in real life can fulfill. And so you are ruining your capacity to love your future spouse and be intimate with them by looking at this stuff. You have to stop. I don't care what you have to do, you have to. For yourself and for your future marriage and your kids, you have to stop looking at this stuff. It's an epidemic, I understand. I don't care if you gotta throw your phone away, I don't care if you have to get rid of your, your computer, I don't care what you have to do, stop it. Because it is ruining your marriage already. You're going to enter into, if you enter into a marriage where you're addicted to porn, you have started at such a deficit in that marriage that it is going to be very difficult for you to dig it out. It's going to be tough for your spouse to be able to maintain that relationship. And then this one's for everybody, um, but this one's for the ladies, is if you're dating someone who is just constantly bringing drama, their life issues into your life, Tell them to take a flying leap, okay? You don't need their drama. You are not their mother. You are not their counselor. Unless you are married to them, you still have a way out, okay? Take it. Get out now. You got to get out of this relationship. It is not your job to fix them, to prop them up. You need to run as fast as you can. 
Because if you marry them, it will be your problem. You're going to have to deal with it now. Because their problems right now are not your responsibility, but they will become your responsibility when you get married. So get out! (laughs) I know it sounds unloving and like, oh, that's so mean, but listen, you have to be a whole person looking for another whole person so that you can avoid persons with holes in them. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Because <laughs> here's what's going to happen. Whatever their current issues are now, within six months of that marriage, they're going to be your fault. They're going to blame it on you. Whatever daddy issues that they had previously, you're now the issue. It's not that he bailed, it's you're the problem. The reason why they drink so much is because they're unhappy because of you. The reason why they continue to spend out of control is because of you. They will take every problem that they've had and they will now blame it on you. You have inherited it, so run. Number three, since we're already getting uh, fired up, let's go with this one. Ladies, don't dress like a commodity or put up with being treated like one. So, yeah, dang, this has got real. Everybody went on Instagram like, delete, delete, delete. Um, (laughs) Look at it like this. This is how I've kind of always thought about it, is how do fishermen determine what kind of bait they're going to use? Just depends on what they want to catch. So, when you're, I know, some of you guys are like, I don't get it yet. I'll explain it. We'll get there, okay? If you... Here's what this means. If you are using your body as bait to attract somebody, what kind of guy do you think you're attracting? You think he's going to be marriage material? You think he's going to be a great dad one day? Absolutely not. And so when you use your body as bait, you are going to get that type of guy. But but when you start to use your mind, your passion, your drive, your love for God as the bait, you know what kind of person you're going to attract? The kind that you want to spend your life with. And so ladies, I get it. It's a crazy world out there. You guys are pressured to look a certain way and to act a certain way, but you have to be countercultural because you are going to not marry the same way as everybody else. Here's a learning for all of us. And I, uh, I learned this over time is if you've dated and, and you seem to continue to attract the same people over and over again, you know, like, ah, I just keep getting people who are codependent, who are dysfunctional, who are just downright crazy, and it's the weirdest thing. I just can't understand it. Here's what I always tell people who come to me and they have this problem. I say, there is actually a common denominator in this entire thing. You. If you keep attracting the same type of person, you need to look at yourself instead of continuing to blame everybody else. Okay, number four. Here we go. Tip number four, postpone the physical component of your relationship as long as possible. So if you are dating someone, postpone, and this doesn't just mean like sex, no, no, that's marriage, okay? We're talking about like kissing, cuddling, anything like that. I know it sounds extreme, but listen, I have never met anyone who says, you know, I just wish we had gotten more physical early on in our relationship. Zero times have I heard that. Countless times I've heard, we just got too physical, and it was too early on in the relationship. It ended up ruining things. It ended up fogging this relationship to where we couldn't see one another clearly, and it just, it, it just the whole thing just became a mess because we screwed up and we got physical. And ladies, if a guy, uh, 
doesn't want to date you because you won't get physical with him. One, why are you dating that type of guy? All right, that's, that's trash. Okay, here we go, number five. And this is the last one. Get involved in church. Is if you want to meet the right person, you have to be in the right places. If you want to meet the right person, you've got to be in the right places. Nobody wants to be at a dinner, hanging out with their friends. They're like, so where did you guys meet? And they're like, well... So like I was dropping it hot, like just, I mean, it was just, woo, we were getting after it, okay? I was getting so low, can't stretch like that anymore, but we were getting low, I was working it, and then he was over in the corner, and he was just kind of leaning back, and he was like sipping the scissor, you know, and like, it was cool, and then, um, and then like we made eye contact, and like we hit it off from there, you know? Nobody wants, that's not a love story. That's not, that's embarrassing, right? Nobody wants to meet. She was a dancer, you know? <laughs> like, no, nobody wants that. Here's one of the reasons why we started uh, the Young Adults Ministry. Is one, we needed a community where people in this age group could come and hang out. But here's the other thing is we needed to find a place in which other single young people, people could meet other single young people who were going in the same direction in life, right? Because you want to meet someone who has the same aspirations, especially when it comes to your faith. You want someone who is pursuing God. And so we wanted to create a place where other people who are pursuing God could meet. And here's what's been great is we have had so many couples come out of young adults, like so many marriages. It's crazy how many, how many couples we've seen come out of young adults. And that's one of the reasons we created it is because we want you to find the right person as you become the right person in the right place. Okay, so let's do this. I got all kinds of rhymes today. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but uh, woo! Okay, let me do some Q&A here, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll see how, how many we can get. Um, okay, number one. Okay, uh, first one, it says, uh, if, in the book of Matthew, if you look at a woman, okay, if you look, just do them in like in sections, because there's, okay. Uh, if you look at a woman, uh, lustfully, you have already committed adultery. Who exactly am I committing adultery against if I'm single? Uh, okay, so a few different things. One, um, the, the adultery that happens in your mind is when you're looking lustfully, you're imagining doing something sexual with this, this person. And so any adultery in the scripture is having sex with, either physically or mentally, anyone that's not your spouse. And so when you're, when you're thinking about somebody else, even if you're not married, that person is still not your spouse. And so that is why the scripture says when you think these lustful thoughts, it's like committing adultery. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Number two, um, can we go to Guatemala? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, some of these are getting weird. I better sit down. Okay. <laughs> Is it okay, this is great, is it okay for married couples to sext or maybe have kinky, unconventional sex? Hey, I'm just reading, I didn't make this up. Uh, word. Okay, so this is tough because there's no like sexting in the Bible, so like we're just going to have to try to deduce what the Bible would say, is... Um, can you have these very sexual conversations with your spouse? Yeah, like you're gonna do it. Like, yes, you're going to actually do it. So talking about it, yeah, it's kind of a step backward. Um, 
but, uh, but from a, a more practical standpoint, um, the sexting thing is kind of sketchy because like who gets a hold of that stuff, you know? Like, can you imagine if that went public? Oh, you'd have to move. So that would just be a bummer, all right? Um, as far as the kinky stuff, this is, I, don't, you're, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. If it's just, I don't know. I will, you can talk to me later if you dare. All right, um, next one. <laughs> Do you think that God has a particular person for us in marriage, or is it more of a choice? So this is the question is, is there the right person? Now, here's my, my belief on this. And the scripture is not clear on it, so I'm just going to give you my take on this whole deal. Is um, there is no single person for you to, to marry. It's not like, oh my gosh, like there's just one person in the entire world in which I could be married to. No, 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 no. I think that there is someone whom, um, through prayer and through seeking uh, wise advice from people and through uh, a lot of different, uh, and through time and getting to know one another, that you can choose to marry someone. And so marriage isn't, because here's what happens, is if you get into the right person myth, you're going to, um, you're going to bank everything on that. You're going to be like, look, it's just going to work out because it's the right person. Marriage is way more complicated than that. They become the right person because of who their character is, their love for God, and you're, you're, you guys have chosen to do life together. And so is there this one magical person? I, I don't buy it. Although, now that Amy aren't together, like she was, so it... Anyway, oh Lord. Okay, um, if you rush and get married just to have sex, is that a sin? No, it's just dumb, right? Like, it's just stupid. Trust me, that 30 seconds is not going to be worth it. Anyway, as we were. Uh, okay, next one. Why does God give us emotional connections and feelings to non-Christians if we aren't supposed to pursue them? Um, so there's a lot of assumptions that are happening here. Is one that God gives us these feelings. I don't think that God gives us these feelings. Like I don't think He goes zap. You're gonna love this person, right? I think that we, by uh, who we are naturally, we have. Uh, we are able to connect with people relationally. We're physically attracted to people. And so he has given us these gifts, and it's the, the gift of, of relational capacity. It's the gift of physical attraction. And you can't just turn those on and off for very, like one specific person. I think that we have this capacity, and it's a great gift. However, it can also be used in some, uh, some destructive ways. And so we have, to be able to, um, we have to be able to guard ourselves from these things. We have to be able to, to, uh, be able to guide our emotions and who we, uh, who we enter into relationships with. Because it's not like we're animals. We're not animals. We don't just like, oh, I'm attracted. Oh, I'm pounced, right? No, that's not how this works. Is we get to decide what we do with the emotions that we feel. And, and we have to make sure that we direct them to the right people. Okay, um, do spouses stay together in heaven? Actually, Jesus addresses this, and he says, no, there is no marriage in heaven um, because we don't have that need any longer. We're, we're made complete. We don't have that, that uh, we don't need that uh, connection any longer. Um, oh, this is my favorite one. How far can I push the envelope before it's considered sex? I've heard this question a thousand times. This is a great question. Okay, 
Let me think about this. Okay. Right. Yeah, if you're asking, you've already screwed up, all right? Well, we already addressed the issue that what Jesus considers in a sin is if you are thinking about having sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse. So mentally, you're already there. But what about the physical stuff? People always want to know, well, how far can I go as a Christian? Well, let me ask you this. How far can you go without having those thoughts? Some guys are going to be like, I'm not even sure if we could talk. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, it's just not going to happen. But that's, that's the standard, right? So Jesus says, here's the standard. And so when you're trying to, and here's the other thing is, everybody wants to know, how close can I get to the cliff without falling off? And it's like, well, how about this? How about you see how far you can stay away from the cliff, right? Why are you trying to fall off a cliff in the first place? <laughs> All right, anyway. Um, wow, some of these are like super deep. Okay. Uh, do, 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 do. If... Okay, is there anything that can justify getting a divorce? Yes, the scripture is clear. So Jesus talks about some of the things that allow us. It doesn't say that we have to get divorced, but it allows us to, uh, to leave this relationship, and it's not a sin. And so what Jesus says is, um, if your spouse is unfaithful, or if you are married to, um, you become a Christian and you're married and that unbelieving spouse decides to leave you, you are free from that marriage. Also, the, the church has talked about, and uh, the reason why is because there's a lot of, it doesn't say it explicitly, but it's more implicit, is if there's some kind of abuse happening within that marriage, then you're also free to, to be able to, to leave. But we always encourage reconciliation. Even if the person has been unfaithful and is, I can't even imagine how difficult that would be, we always encourage that they try to work that out because it's just going to be, it's going to be really tragic if you have to leave that marriage. And so there's, there's a couple, couple there. Um, how can I fix my sexuality if I felt um, this way at such a young age? And so I'm, I'm assuming that this is referring to homosexuality, same-sex same attraction. And, um, and if that is you, I actually want to connect you with one of my friends, Beckett, who uh, he came and he spoke here a couple years ago, and he's become a, a friend of mine, in which he lived as a, a gay man for 20 years in Hollywood, and he became a Christian, and now he uh, is someone who has same-sex attraction, but he is living uh, as a single man. And so it's, it's very interesting hearing his story as he's talked about God has relieved him of a lot of his desires, although he's not like, people always ask him, so are you straight now? It's like, no, <laughs> you know, like this is who, this is who I, this is, these are the feelings I've always had. But then there's other people in there. You can look at uh, this lady on YouTube is Rosaria Butterfield. And she has a inc very incredible story where she was um, a lesbian and she was a feminist uh, I think it's women's studies professor and feminist, okay? So she was like really, really, really into um, the LGBT community, and she eventually becomes a Christian, and then her whole disposition changes, and she goes from being same-sex attracted to now she's married, has kids, and is a pastor. So totally uh, crazy story. You need to look her up. Very smart lady as well. Um, uh, okay, so this one's about uh, I've had sex, um, and I know the feeling, I know how enjoyable it is, and um, what are some tips for me to be able to stop, and how do I deal with my past baggage? Um, so there's, this is a two-part question. One, you need to, 
and this is true of anybody, but especially if, you, if this has been an issue for you in the past, is you have to draw some very serious lines in your life. Maybe more, probably more serious than people who have not had sex before. And here's why. Because once you've been there, it's a lot easier to go back there. Once you cross the line, it's a lot easier to continue to cross the line. And so you're going to have to continue to uh, or, or draw some very serious boundaries in whatever relationships you may have. One, you've got to be very serious about who the person, person is that you're dating. You've got to be upfront and clear about here's my past and here's my struggles. And so I'm going to need some accountability. You've got to surround yourself with people who are going to ask you the tough questions. Being in a rooted group where guys are going to, or girls are going to say every week, how are you doing with this? What's going on? Are you keeping it pure? What's going on in your life? And they are going to continue to ask you these questions. And, uh, and the second part of it is, is what are some tips to, or, or how do I get rid of this past baggage? And I talked about that a couple weeks ago, in which we have to realize, once we become a Christ follower, that he has, uh, he has forgiven us of all the past mistakes, all the pet doesn't matter what you've done. He has forgiven you. And so it's a continual reminder. You don't need to ask him over and over and over. Uh, no, no. It, when he forgives you, it's done. But you have to continue every day to pray that God will help you to be able to accept that forgiveness. Lord, it's hard for me today. I feel guilty. I know that this guilt and the shame is not from you. You have forgiven me of that. That's the enemy. And so I need you to help me today. My dad, uh, and I shared this a couple weeks ago, my dad told me when I was in my teenage years, really struggling with some guilt and some shame is, he said, Cody, every time you try to take back what you've done and put it back on your shoulders and feel guilt and shame, what you're saying is, Jesus, your sacrifice isn't enough. I need to take it on my shoulders. And he's telling me, look, his, it, Jesus took it upon himself and he died and he conquered it. Quit trying to take it back. All right. Um, someone wants to know if we're going to have a speed dating event. Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. Do we have any more? Oh, okay. Um, oh, this, oh, this is interesting. Okay. Um, if I got pregnant by someone and I don't know who it is, is it okay to have an abortion? All right. So the first part of the question is actually irrelevant to the second part of the question, which is, you know, if I don't know who the person, the, the father is, whatever. So the central issue when it comes to abortion, and we've talked about this before, and, and if you've had one, we love you, we, we accept you, we want to be able to help you heal and, and feel restoration from that experience, but when we talk about that, we also have to, be, um, we have to be real about what's happening there. And so the central question when it comes to abortion is, what is the unborn? Because if the unborn is a person, it deserves the same rights as any other person. But if the unborn is not a person, then we can do whatever we want. And so I, uh, and I don't have time to delve into this, but philosophy, science, and the scripture all affirm that the unborn are people, just like you and I. There's no difference. There is, uh, there is maybe developmental differences. There is maybe location differences, and we can go through all that. But at the end of the day, we have to answer the question, what is the unborn? And People ask, well, what about like a rape? And what about like, what? Wait, wait, first let's answer the question, what is the unborn? And then once we've answered that question, then we can deal with these other cases. And so it would be like, well, if there is a three-year-old and it's because someone was raped that this three-year-old came to be, can we kill the three-year-old? No, we can't kill the three-year-old. Why? Because it's a person. And so the same should apply to the unborn as well. And so anyway, that's a big topic. 
and uh, maybe this coming year we'll talk about it some more. All right, let me take one more. Is there any, let me see here. I got a whole, do we have any more or is that it? That's it, okay, good. So let me say this, and I'll close with this, is uh, one, if you have any more questions and you're kind of scared to, to text it in or whatever, um, I'm not sure that it'll be less, less intimidating to ask me personally, but I'd love to answer them. Uh, the other is this, is whenever we talk about sex and sexuality, it oftentimes brings up a lot of emotion. It brings up a lot of past experiences and hurts and regrets and, and things like that. And, and if, you have, uh, if you have entered into a relationship with Christ, that's not the point of this. The point of this is how do we um, enjoy the incredible freedom and gifts that God has given us and be able to exercise them to the fullest. It's not supposed to be a time of shame and, and regret and guilt. It's time for learning for us to be able to step into who we were supposed to be. And so my encouragement for you is wherever you're at in this journey and whatever stuff that you've had in the past is that you would be able to walk away from this with uh, an incredible sense of excitement for what could be in your future. And my prayer for this group and has been for a long Long time is that you would get to enter into a marriage that is just a game changer because marriage will change the trajectory of your life for the good or the bad. And my prayer is for us to be people who enter into these marriages and it just becomes a way in which we get to glorify God. We get to connect with our spouse and it becomes one of the best gifts that we've ever had. So let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the incredible gift of, of marriage and sex and sexuality and all that goes with it. And yet, at the same time, um, these good gifts that you give us, they can often be corrupted, that we can use them and it can be used in, in some pretty perverse ways. And so, Lord God, we pray that we would be good stewards of these gifts, that you would be able to enable us to, um, to resist temptations at times that we need to and be able to um, enter into these incredible relationships that you have designed, that you have uh, made us to be in, and that we would be able to enjoy our future spouses or whatever, Lord God, um, or even in our singleness, that we we would be able to celebrate the fact that we have a season in which we can pursue you and we can know you and, um, and we can go wherever you call us. And so, Lord God, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.